this is uh, this is our this is kind of like our first episode per se in this new format or one of the first ones. We were trying to figure out the candles and stuff like that. I almost set this place on fire, so I'm sorry about that. Oh, good. Um, you have been a presence online for a while, and we have some mutual friends that yes. have uh, connected us in the past. Uh, for me, it was when I first heard that you basically learned your craft from your mother. Mm-hmm. I did. You know, which is kind of uh, something that I kind of did myself in a way, although she didn't show me everything. She showed me a lot. <laughs> Um, uh, I found it fascinating that you were a part of a, basically a family business of mostly females, basically running this whole bounty hunting thing. Yeah. Uh, so before we go into into that aspect of uh, of where you ended up, uh, thank you for coming on. First off, yeah, Danielle. thank you for having me. Um, how does somebody like you, and when I say like you, I mean female, um, and also part of a whole female kind of a cast family. Um, how does that even kind of manifest? Like, wh- wh- where does that come from, from uh, in your family? Where, where does that? Uh... Um, I would just say it stems from my mom, of course, but it, it's a lot of, you know, generations of women who have been through a lot and turned to aspects in their career and becoming successful it just trickles down from my grandma to my mom to me, my little sister. So you, you, where did you guys grow up? Like, what, what's what's uh, what's your base of operations growing yeah. up? Um, I'm based in Morton, Washington, which yeah. is a small little logging town of a thousand people. Um, my graduating class was twelve people, including me. So very small. small. <laughs> um, my mom, she was born in Texas. She moved all over. Um, She's from Vancouver, Washington, originally, and then moved to Morton because of her own personal endeavors. And then she's still there, so. Yeah, um, bounty hunting mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a means of supporting. Um, so you grew up, uh, like, what's your family situation like growing up? Uh, growing up, it was myself, my little sister, my mom, and my stepdad. Um, a lot of the time... My stepdad was the one raising myself and my sister because he was terminally ill with cancer. Oh, okay. So my mom was the breadwinner. And, and when you say your mom was a breadwinner, what what was she doing to support you, you guys? Yeah, so for a while we lived in Seattle at the Cancer Care Place, Cancer Care Alliance. It's basically like medical housing, um, and my dad could take care of us that way. My mom was in school full-time for a CNA and she became a CNA while my dad was. What, what's a CNA for people? Certified are, nursing assistant. So a, a certified nursing assistant. That was her intention to go into that. That was her intention, and she got the idea based off of um, my dad being sick. She wanted to help him, um, so she went and got a degree and then got a job at a nursing home. Um, and basically, yeah, my dad was taking care of us while he was sick. So that's kind of my homegrown. What, what was your, I mean, I imagine that's a lot of insecurity and a lot of uh, it was. things going on. So yeah, were you taking care of your stepdad as well in yeah. a lot of ways? Yeah, we both were, me and my sister. Was that scary? It was, yeah. Um, we would assure, like, he was taking his medication at the right times. and. How old are you, how old are you as uh, when you take on this responsibility to 
Um, he was diagnosed when I was 10, and he passed away when I was 14. So you're, you're, you're young. Very young. As you're, as you're basically with somebody on their way out, mm-hmm. and your mom's trying to figure out being a nurse to, in a lot of ways, save this person. Yeah. That's a lot. It is, yeah. What does that do to you? Like, what, what, what's going on in your head while you're going through this process of growing up in, in, uh, with uh, expecting death in a lot of ways in this place? Yeah, um, a lot of insecurity, like you mentioned, not really knowing what was going to happen or where we were standing. I mean, my mom and my dad did an amazing job with us, but we were also still very sheltered from the actuality of what was happening. Yeah. Um, did it, was there any conversations about, you know, what to expect or what Oh, yeah, happen? yeah. I mean, they were transparent in the fact of what was happening with my dad, why we were moving back and forth from Seattle back to our small logging town, um, why we weren't in school a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, like time frames of how long he actually had and how long we were going to be in certain areas, we never really knew. We were very sheltered in that way. That's going to be difficult to talk about, but uh, you, do you remember the day when he left? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, can, can you, so you, how old are you when, when he finally goes? I was 14, and it was my first day of junior high, or high school, freshman year. First day of high school? Yeah. And um, Was it expected, or was it like a sudden downturn in health? Um, we think... He had knew it was going to happen, but he didn't tell us because he didn't want to scare us. Um, my dad went through chemotherapy, and he successfully got rid of the cancer. Um, however, you know, the lifespan that he was given, it was his lifespan. Yeah. You know, the chemotherapy took so much out of him that it, it was going to happen either way. And it was my first day of freshman year, and he had just gotten his paycheck from Social Security. Yeah. And he went out and he bought us pizza and, uh, you know, like cake and cupcakes. and A celebration. Celebration. And we just understood it as he got paid. And uh, our first day of school. So he drove us there, dropped us off, told us had a good day. Uh, we came home. And he told us he was going to go outside and mow the yard. And we stayed inside doing homework or whatever kids do, play on the computer. And my little sister went outside because he had been there out, out there for about an hour. And she wanted to go bug him. And she comes running back inside and she was like, dad's not moving and he's in the yard. And I was like, what? And she's like, dad's not moving, he's in the yard. And I, was, I told her, call mom, shake him. He might just be asleep because the chemotherapy does make yeah. you sleepy. Um, he would fall asleep a lot. So I was like, wake him up. He's just sleeping. He's just in the chair outside. Um, she came back and forth several different times on the phone with several different people. And I was like, I'm just going to go out there and wake him up. And he didn't wake up. Yeah. And I shook him and shook him. I tilted the chair back and he did not move. And... My mom was actually at work at the time um, doing her CNA job, flew home. And, you know, Morton is so small, the closest city is over an hour away. Flew home, 
like 30 minutes. I don't even know how fast she was going. Um, by that time, he was already in the ambulance and gone, and we were at home, and our elderly neighbor was guarding our, our house phone, so no one would call and tell us what happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I found out. Um, and it was a sudden massive heart attack. It, it wasn't cancer-related. Yeah. So his heart just, his his heart heart just, just gave, gave up. Out. But, yeah, I mean, we, we think he knew. He, he didn't want to tell us, but he knew deep down. You're 14. I was 14. That's a, that's a lot of pain. It was. Um, Still is. And, 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 and um, how do you process it? You, you know, um, I've gotten, gone through similar, similar loss uh, during that time of my, my life, you know, 13 on my end. Uh, I process, processed it by running away and being older and being very independent and basically just kind of figuring things out for myself. How did you process that? Same. I ran away constantly. I fought with my mom a lot at that age because I was so close to my dad with him raising us and my mom being gone. Um, I didn't understand she was gone to provide, but yeah. I just... What, what was your anger? What was your anger about? Um, opening up to somebody and them just leaving. Yeah. I, it was like an abandonment almost. Abandonment, yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, not having anybody to turn to instead of my dad, that, that really hurt. Um, a giant void now. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would run away. Um, I turned it into a lot of internal anguish. So I developed agoraphobia and I wouldn't leave my room, which I moved into my dad's room because I was so... Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, you... you uh, I understand that aspect, I guess. You... Uh, you look for him or at least look for the places that remind you of him and that's where you hide. Yeah, I kept all of his things the same for years. And, uh, like a shrine. Yeah, I didn't leave. So a lot of just internal anguish. There's no, and again, these, this is generational. We can talk about therapy now and mm -hmm. figuring things out now, but back then there was, there was really not even the culture to talk about some yeah. of these things maybe. No. Um, You talk about frustration with your mother and uh, her basically not being as present as you would want, and now you have your only parental figure gone, who was. Mm -hmm. So what does that do to you? Insecurity. With safety is gone. Yeah, safety's gone. Um, I really, like I said, I really just internalized it. I was in my head at the time. What can I do? to get out of this? Do I want to stay where I'm at or, you know, rekindle with my mom? I mean, she doesn't, she understands what I'm going through, but not from my point of view. Yeah. She's, she's going through the same thing, but not my point of view. You're, you're uh, going inward. Like, what are your plans for the future when you're a kid in that point yeah. in your life? Like, I remember when it happened, when some of the, some of the, the losing my brother, uh, and internalizing and kind of basically going inward, uh, there was no future in my mind. I yeah. had no future. I gave up all of my dreams when my dad passed away. I just, you know, stayed inside. I didn't go to school. I had no plans to get a GED diploma. College wasn't even a thought. Um, 
in my head, I was like, I'm just going to rot away here. Yeah. That's my plan. I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. What, uh, you know, your, your mother basically goes back into her routine of trying to support you guys, right? Mm -hmm. Is there anybody there? My grandma would come and try and help us kids, but again, we didn't accept the support at the time. We just wanted dad yeah. um, or mom, and we seen it as kind of like a babysitter. Yeah. Mom didn't want to be there for us, so Is, it was babysitter. Did you rebel against that, basically? All the time, yeah. all the time. Like you haven't earned your place as a, as yeah. a parental figure. What are you doing here? I, yeah, I would shut down. So. The... Uh, that's a hole that we, we we knock ourselves into when grief is. Uh, people don't realize that death only ends a life, not a relationship. Mm -hmm. So your relationship is still very much alive with him. Yeah. Um, what pulled you out of that over the years? Is there anything that you can remember back upon that says, hey, remember that hole I was in? That grief hole, like, when was that first day that you kind of realized that, hey, I'm in a hole, number one, and then I need to climb out of it? Yeah, I mean, at the time, um, the only thing I could really fathom to make the path to get out of the hole um, was I just wanted to make my dad proud. I just wanted, my dad wouldn't want me to sit here in his room and not do anything for myself. Yeah. Um, there wasn't like a specific day or incident that I was like, I need to change things. It was just, I'm tired of these four walls in this yeah. room. I need to get out. And so I made a plan um, to get my GED, um, get my driver's license, you know, change my name even. I, I was like, I'm tired of the same person who holds all this grief. I need to change. And yeah, that's, that's really where it Abs started. Absurd transformation. Yeah. I lost a ton of weight. I, you know, did everything I could to just not be that 14-year-old who lost her dad. Yeah. Absurd yeah. transformation. Basically go completely the other direction. Absolutely. So you were inward, now you're outward. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean, outward? Like, where did you go? Like, you were trying to get a license. So that means you have to drive really far away. You're right. trying to get your GED and all yeah. that. Basically, it's, it's, town. It's, it's, a, it's an exit. <laughs> you're, you're looking for an exit strategy. Where yeah. are you trying to run to? Um, I mean, I can name places, but really, <laughs> I just didn't want to be in a logging town. You know, I wanted to be in a place where I had more opportunity than being a logger or a farmer. And, um, where do you see these opportunities? Like, what, what, what is it, what is it your uh, young mind is seeing, trying to get out of this this hole that is grief, you know? And also now, you know, usually a lot of people take grief and they utilize it as an anchor until they figure out it's fuel, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you figure it out that it's fuel now. You're firing at all cylinders trying to figure out your way out of there. Mm -hmm. You don't want to stay there in this logging town, as you say. Um, what's your aim? Where are you aiming towards? Um, I had a very planned out life in my head of what I wanted and where I wanted to be. And it was in a larger city with my own apartment. You know, I wanted to be successful in whatever I was doing, whether it was a business or I didn't even consider law enforcement at the time. It was just strictly something else. Yeah. Um, and when you say you didn't even consider law enforcement, it was something in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, 
What's your mother doing at this point? Is she still doing the nursing thing, or what's what's going on there? No, she's she's in bail enforcement. She's she shifted at some point to bail enforcement. Yes. So she went from trying to figure out how to be a nurse to. She actually, <laughs> yeah, um, she was actually, you know, at the nursing home at the time. She was caring for a family's elderly relative. And she got a message from that family member and was like, hey, have you ever considered bail bonds? And my mom <laughs> was like, you know, I haven't, but whatever's putting food on the table right now, I'll do it. That's your mom. Yeah, that's my mom. <laughs> so she was like, yeah, you know, her friend, um, she was like, do you want to come along with me while I go write a bond tonight so you can see how it is? It's, it, so basically that was a uh, question about a ride-along. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my mom was like, yeah, I mean, I'm off at 11 tonight. If you want to come pick me up, let's go to the jail and go write a bond. And she went and she was like, wow, this is so much easier than what I'm doing right now. She saw the, uh, well, so much easy. Like as far as like the, what she basically did a ride along with somebody who was doing this. Yeah, she, you know, she's seen, I don't have to handle, like, bedpans or someone's elderly family member. All I have to do is sit in my car and write out paperwork and wait for them to walk out with their belongings. And, you know, I made someone's family member so much more happier that night. Someone got to go home. Yeah. And she was, like, she just really, she enjoyed, well, I would say she was more satisfied um, seeing the reaction from the family that she helped, um, she she hadn't seen any of the negative though. That's a that's yeah. a good, that's a good day, right? Yeah, that's a, right. Good, that's a good first day. Very much, yeah. So she really enjoyed it, and eventually her friend was like, "You know, you can do this. You just have to take the test." Are you listening to stories of her, at, like during these first attempts at doing this? Is she talking to you about she it? She is. Um, but my teenage, you know, internal anguish self was just like, this is stupid, mom. What are you doing? Yeah. You're wasting your time. Like, I wish you were home and not out at the jail. Like, yeah. come on. And, uh, yeah, so she came home. She came, came home one night and she had flashcards of the bail test and she would have me practice with her. Okay. Um, you know, just every night she would bring it home and I would ask her the questions, see if she got the answer right. She went and she aced her test and she came home with her ace test and her little picture and she showed me and I just seen like the glee in her face that like the best way I can describe it is like she's seen a way out yeah. of the gloom from yeah. CNA work and home. And I was like, you know, yeah, like, I can't hate on that. You go do what makes you happy as long as I get to see you. Yeah. And it actually really worked. Um, she would go right bail at night. She was home during the day. We would see her more. Um, it was it was going really good, and I was building more of a relationship with her. So it helped. Yeah. Um, funny, and, funny how going into something is more dangerous, you know? Yeah. I'm a little bit more flexible with time. Yeah. It's a positive. Right. Um, yeah, so that really built our relationship, and it's kind of what introduced me specifically to bail. Um, we would go court sitting every Monday, 
uh, together Monday what, mornings. What does court sitting mean for people that don't know what that means? So if you don't know what court sitting is, essentially if you're picked up on the weekends, you don't get a court hearing until Monday morning. Um, in Washington State, you us as bail bondsmen cannot approach the family member in a court setting. You have to approach them. So my mom would dress us up in like bail bonds, T-shirts, and hoodies, and me and my little sister would go and we would stay from 9 a.m. until the end of the day listening to each court hearing, each and every one. And whatever one got bond, we would hand them a business card and we'd say, come talk to us in the hall. And uh, so, yeah, we would do that every Monday, every Monday morning. Um, and then eventually my mom had slowly realized that <coughs> – um, bondsmen were making less than recovery agents and her recovery agent on her skips was making more than she was writing the bond. So she slowly decided, well, fastly decided that she was going to get her recovery agent license and pick up her own people. And, and when you say recovery agent, uh, for people, again, for people that don't know what this means, bounty hunting. Yes. Your mother says, yeah, I'm good. this is great and everything like that, but I'd probably be me making more money literally hunting these people down mm -hmm. and dragging them back. Her own people that she bonded out to. Yeah. Yeah. And can you describe your mom for us? Like, yeah. It's, it, like I, I imagine people out there are trying to picture your uh, former nursing student mom uh, now deciding that she's going to go after, yeah, <laughs> go after these people. She's the definition of a badass. Like, could you describe her physically for physically, us? Physically, yeah. Um, she just had gastric bypass surgery, so she's more athletic yeah, now. Yeah. Um, she looks like me. Yeah, yeah she's, she's just she, she, she's not a she's not this very strong uh, uh, weightlifting lady no. that decides that she's going to use her. Yeah, no. She's just a normal lady who's a, mom, a, she was a single, single mom, mom. Trying to figure things out, and she thinks it's a good idea to figure out how to hunt yeah, grown men that are exactly. skipping bail. Yep. What, when, in your young mind, when you're hearing your mother basically saying that, yeah, bounty hunting, that's... What's, what are your images of, 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 of that profession that you're, you're going through in your head when she says, well, I'm going to have to figure this out, I guess? At 14, I didn't think it was as serious as she was describing. Okay. Um, I was like, you're a mom. Like, you're exaggerating this. It's not, it's not as crazy as you're saying. Um, you know, and like I said, I thought it was ridiculous that she was doing it until she started coming home with her body cam videos and showing it to me every night. Wow, so she was, uh, what year is this? This is like, uh, this GoPro, is she, is she carrying around a GoPro probably? Um, I'm not sure what the camera was, but it was about 2015, 2017. Yeah, yeah. she's probably carrying around some sort of GoPro or something like that. Yeah. And she's coming back home from her nights out working as a yeah. recovery agent. Yeah. And showing your, her teenage girls, like, hey, this is what I'm yeah. doing. I had a hotel alone. What, what, <laughs> what, what, are, what, what are some of the things that you remember seeing in some of those first videos? Oh, goodness. 
Um, yeah, hitting the hotel in Yakima, which is a very known gangland in Washington. It's just your mom alone out there. It's just my mom alone. Knocking and her AR-15, just alone. One specific video I actually posted on my Instagram a few months back. Um, it was her, it was the video in the hotel. She had hit it alone. There was 15 Sereños in the hotel. Um, so the Sereños are, it's a gang. Yes. Um, and a baby. And she had all of them on the floor with just her AR. Just it's yelling. just her. Just her. And her voice. And her voice. It's wild to think about that that is a profession and that she's doing it alone yeah. out there. You say you're, she's carrying around. What's her, like, for people that don't know anything about this, uh, she is out there. She's, certif she's a certified, at this point, she's a certified bell recovery person. Yes. And she's running around there. What's her loadout like? What she's car what, what is she carrying around with? Did you say an AR-15? Like at a rifle? the time, yes. Um, it, at her very beginning stages, she would have baseball gloves <laughs> because we were, we were not. You didn't you have know, any. You didn't have any of the. Cool we didn't have any of the high tech gear that we have. Baseball today. gloves are good enough. Yeah, whatever she, we could get. She's where she's basically cobbling together her tactical equipment. Yeah, baseball so, gloves. Um, I think it was like motorcycle riding boots. Her AR-15, um, a standard duty belt. I don't think anything was on it at the time. And, like, one pair of Smith & Wesson 500 cuffs, the smallest cuffs you can get. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and an AR. Yes. Just, just, just rocking with this rifle like mm -hmm. a Zulu warrior, just and, like a spear. <laughs> yeah. And that specific apprehension, she did have someone with her. However, he was two hours out, so she decided to just hit it by herself. Yeah, that's... Sounds exactly yeah. like we we do our thing, I guess. <laughs> so you're watching this. What's your mom? What's your mind going through? Like, mom, what the fuck? I, yeah, are you doing? I she played it to me on her laptop, and I was like, I don't think you're supposed <laughs> to be doing this. <laughs> She's like, put the baby on the floor, and I was like, I don't think you're supposed to be saying that. <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to put the vision of people. Imagine your mom saying, hey, look at what I did for, for work, you know? And yeah. it's just her putting a bunch of Sudanians on the ground yeah. <laughs> with an AR-15 <laughs> in some random hotel. That's wild. She, she's still a mom, though. Like, um, <coughs> she would come home and yell at us because my little sister would call her and be like, can I have an ice cream? While she's, like, in a ditch with her AR pointed at people. Yeah, <laughs> like, she's still like, shut She's up. like, I'm at work. Don't call me. <laughs> so she, she, she's uh, doing this... At night, mm -hmm. again, my head hurts. Yeah, I'm just worried about her. You know, <laughs> I know she's fine, but I'm still <laughs> worried about her. She's yeah. coming home and showing you some of these videos. Mm -hmm. At what point in your young mind do you see? I can do that. Not until very recently. Not until very recently. Um, when I got licensed in Washington at 21. W was it, back then, was it like, this is distant, this is wild, mom, what are you doing? You're probably not supposed to be doing that, but I guess it's fine. I guess you haven't been <laughs> arrested yeah. for this yet, so I think it's okay. I think it's more or less, I didn't realize that I could have the confidence that she has doing it. D so when you say the confidence, I mean, she's... 
She's verbally telling 12, like, a bunch of people to be on the ground with mm-hmm. AR-15 because she believes in herself that yeah. much. Yeah, right? she's like, I can do this, you know. I, I can do this somehow. Yeah. So, Is, uh, Are you witnessing her trying to get better at it? Is she training herself? Always. Is she trying to figure out how to upgrade herself? Always. Like, what are you witnessing as far as her upgrades? You, you say that she started off with baseball gloves mm-hmm. and an AR-15. Are you seeing her kit up? Absolutely, yeah. Move forward. One thing about my mom is she takes her training extremely seriously. Any training, whether it's certifiable or not, she just wants to say that she can do it. Um, So, you know, from baseball baseball gloves and searching us with coins in our back pockets when we were kids to, you know, she's a certified ASP instructor, taser instructor like myself. Uh, active shooter training, you know, just so many years of very valuable knowledge she's acquired just, you know, going to courses. And is is she, you say she's working with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But is she like, you know, soloing a lot of it probably? Yeah. At the time, there wasn't a lot of competition. At the time, bounty hunting wasn't very known in our state. Um, So, there was my mom on the west side of the mountains, and there was another individual on the east side of the mountains. So when the schedules weren't colliding, you had to do it yourself. That's wild, That's wild <laughs> to think about. What changed, though? You said uh, that, that that wasn't as popular back then. What, what, what do you think changed as far as the popularity of it or the uh, I think variety of it? Yeah, I think a lot of... YouTube channels bringing it more YouTube to light. Reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what, were you were you watching Dog the Bounty Hunter growing up uh, on TV and and, and making <laughs> making connections in your head? When I was young, yeah. I would watch it. Um, I. What do you what What did you? Th- you're growing up in this industry through your mother. Mm-hmm. That's that's probably around the same time as Dog is on TV. But, A little after. Yeah. Okay. So, so what what are you what are you thinking about when you start seeing this guy with a mullet running around and an extinguisher in his hand with the pepper spray? I. That's 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 exactly what oh, I, I saw. Yeah. I like, Absolutely. I watched them explode a can in their car once. <laughs> oh yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful oh, mistake to not make ever. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really understand it as a as a kid. Um, prior to being in it, I just thought they were running around doing cool things like ninjas yeah they look they look like <laughs> yeah um, mall ninjas but yeah yeah i didn't understand it really when i watched them as a as a kid um you're, you're not making that relation that you're not connecting the dots that that's my mom in that same industry no not not necessarily cool. you you say you're, you're you're trying to aim outside of that reality you're trying to figure out your way out of it mm-hmm. um now, what, what's 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 uh, what's that moment that you decide to try and delve yourself into this? Um, after several personal experiences, I realized that I could do it. I was capable of doing it, and I was strong enough. Personal experiences. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> go where I'm I don't want to turn this into a therapy session. Yeah. Um, but that there was a hard situations happened to you when you figured out that you're pretty capable of 
Yeah, yeah. Fighting um, some people off, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from 14, that's just when it started. Um, up until my teens, I've had a lot of difficulty with homelessness and sobriety and relationships. And uh, after the fact is when I was like, you know, I think I'm I'm capable of doing what my mom does. I have my voice now. I've been through too much to only come this far. So sobriety. Yeah. What was your what, what was your uh what was your drug? Alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah. It's an easy one. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you can buy a bottle of malt liquor at the store and just right. take it with you is now it seems wild, but back then it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So alcohol, bad people probably yeah. along with that. Alcohol yeah. has a tendency to turn off our uh, selective features. Absolutely. So I imagine that's something along those lines. Oh, man, I'm sorry. And I've, I took way too long with that myself. I stopped drinking probably at 38, so I, w- I stayed um, with it. Yeah. I stayed with it. Um, what knocks you out of it now? Out of? Out of the, the drinking and the uh, horrible people. More experiences. More experiences. Um, I just found myself in situations I knew weren't good for me. And I, a near-death experience is what really changed it for me and made me realize I, I had to give it up. When you talk about near-death, can you, can you talk about that near-death experience? Yeah. Um, so I was actually out working with my mom um, on the eastern side of the state of Washington. And this is a... You're, you're out working with your mom. What does that entail? Uh, we were working four cases, um, picking up skips um, who missed their court dates. And it was a very successful day. We got all four, um, and we were making our way back over the mountain to go home. And that's when we were, we were the only people on the road driving that late at night. It's like 3 a.m., and an avalanche happened. The whole mountain came down on top of us. Um, Where is this? It's eastern Washington. To in the in the winter. In the winter, it's the beginning the, of January. Three in the morning. Three in the morning. A successful day of Pokemon, human Pokemon, yeah. basically. Yeah. Cap, Pokemon ca- people got to capture them all, and you did. <laughs> uh, and you're. It's three in the morning. She's driving. Are you driving? Who's driving? My mom is driving. She's driving. You're probably passed out or on I your was way. wide awake. You're wide awake? Yeah, and it was another ride-along. We had taken our, our newest graduate of our boot camp with us. So, so it's just the three of you and... Yeah, we're driving, and it's snowing. And we had checked the, the road advisories before we left, and everything was clear. Um, but when we were driving over, we got high-centered in the vehicle, and... I jumped out to try and kick snow under the tires and push the car. And so did my other partner at the time. And it wasn't working. And my mom decided to call 911 while she's still in the car. And as she's on the phone with 911, I look up and the whole mountain's coming down on top of me, 30 feet of snow. Now, it's, it's dark. It's dark. The you- only thing I could see was the brake lights in the snow. And it looked like hell. Yeah. It's just all red, all on top of me. You're buried. I'm buried. How deep? 
30 feet deep. Shit. I grabbed the car door handle um, and took cover by the wheel to settle the car in so it wouldn't go into the lake that was next to us. But I'm buried. You're buried in snow. Mm-hmm. What's, what does your body feel like? It's, it's so, yeah, it, it's weird. Um, it's so weird looking back on because I took, um, so, I, I took so much thought into that situation and I don't remember it um, very well. Yeah. But I know I did it. I created an air pocket in my shirt. Um, and then once I dug up, I screamed. I just yelled, which isn't the best thing to do in an avalanche. But yeah. in my head, I was like, my mom needs to hear me so she knows I'm okay. Yeah. And I screamed and someone pulled me out. And we got into another person's car, even though we were the only people on the road. I don't, I don't remember them getting there. You're probably going through hyper- this hyperthermia ter- ter- territory. Yeah. Um, my partner told me later that I had, I had snow all in my eyelashes and my eyebrows, and I looked scary. <laughs> and I don't remember it at all. But, yeah. I, it, it, did you black out? I think so. I think I did. I mean, it's, uh, man, that's, it's hyperthermia. That's a lot of snow on you. Yeah. Yeah, your body's, yeah. your ghost is leaving in yeah. a way. I, I remember looking up when the mountain came down and it was like a waterfall effect. And I remember thinking, like, this is it. Yeah. Like, you, you got to be ready. And did it, did, so, like, people talk about and laugh, life flashing 44 eyes or. I didn't get any of you that. Didn't get any of I that. just seen just the got, mountain and I knew you, you you knew that this is this could be the Yeah, I knew something was going to happen, but I didn't know what. And I just remember like like I said I don't I don't remember grabbing the door handle to sink it and I don't remember taking cover by the wheel. But yeah. I remember the waterfall effect and Yeah. and digging. Um yeah. What's your first memory after that? I remember when I got pulled out, I was running. It was a semi-truck driver, and I was running towards his cabin, and I looked back, and my mom was struggling to run. And I was like, I don't want to look back and see another mountain come down on my mom because we're, now we're both out. Yeah. And uh, there was no car anymore. <laughs> it was gone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I remember that was the first thing. What's it? What's that? What's that uh, morning feel like? That after that event of touching death in the face. Very interesting, um, because the road had closed both directions, and we were kind of trapped at a cabin somewhere. And search and rescue came that morning and got us out on snowmobile. But we had to go back to Yakima, which was in the avalanche direction. But I remember the morning was interesting because I, at first I was like, I can't believe we survived that. Yeah. But also I was scared because I was like, I don't know what comes after this. And I don't know how I'm going to heal from it. Um, 
How, like, old, how old are you at this point? This happened. This happened last year. Yeah. So twenty-two. So your your twenty-two grief and all that is still there, probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm almost forty-one. It's active addiction too. Active addiction. Uh, probably still wandering around as far as what you're gonna do with the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's a pretty cold, dark wake-up call, basically. Yeah. Um, what changes were you? Um, it took me a few days to be outside again. Um, obviously already having issues with agoraphobia. But yeah, the agoraphobia got... But ten times worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would have... It was hard for me to see snow. It was hard for me to hear it fall off of the trees outside. Um, PTSD. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. PTSD. Yeah. It was really difficult. Um, so I knew first thing firsthand, I was like, I'm going to stop drinking. Yeah. I'm, and me and my mom actually talked about it because we were both there. Um, and we came to the conclusion that like after that incident, we're not going to live our lives the same way that we've been living it. Why, why did you suddenly focus on a, on drinking after an experience like that? What, what was it about it that it's like, well, this is going to end? I think it's because, you know, in a brief second when the avalanche came down, I didn't care if I died or not. And I think it was more like the drink. I had drank, and I drank the night before. And I think it was kind of because of that. Did, did you view alcohol as a very long, drawn-out, and slow suicide attempt? I did, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so, yeah, drinking so, was so, number one to get rid of. So now, since that is a very long, drawn-out suicide attempt, now you want to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that goes wild. <laughs> what else goes? Um, some connections with people. Yeah. Um, obviously the ones that I would go out drinking with. Yeah. It's it's surprising how many people leave your life. Yes. When you let go of, uh, of something like that. So many. You don't benefit to them anymore. Yeah. And also they, uh, they don't want to be around pins and needles around you. You know, they don't want to hide their alcohol from you. So so people start leaving. Mm -hmm. And... In the past, I would view that as an abandonment thing, you know, because I'm almost all a trauma victim of abandonment. But it's like, uh, for me, I remember having this moment this year specifically when I kind of looked back at all the people that I lost, and I was like, um, a lot of people will be bitter about it, I guess, and there's some sadness to it. Uh, but in the end, you have to thank them for, le- for setting you free. Because Absolutely. that's exactly what they're doing. Hey, all of us are still in this prison of this is the way we, this is the only way we can let loose. Yeah. And I'll never wish ill will on them. You know, we're I, all on different paths. I understand. Um, but it's, it's interesting how many people go away when you're getting in your mind better. Mm-hmm. And like, wait, hey, I'm getting better. Why are, why are people leaving? Yeah. They're not ready. 